Women in the United States are more likely to die from childbirth or pregnancy-related causes than women in any other high-income country, and black women die at a rate three to four times that of white women. Although multiple factors contribute to the risk of maternal death, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has identified postpartum hemorrhage, severe hypertension, and venous thromboembolism as pregnancy-related complications that are potentially preventable. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Susan Mann, an Assistant Professor of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Biology at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Mann has co-authored a perspective article about strategies for reducing maternal mortality. Dr. Mann, in your article, you described the recently heightened attention that's being paid to maternal death in the United States. What explains the trend of increasing maternal mortality in this country? Steve, maternal mortality is measured as a death that a woman has that has occurred within one year of a pregnancy. And there are many factors that can contribute to maternal mortality, and particularly in the United States, factors such as domestic violence, gunshot wounds, opioid epidemic, any one of those things can be contributing factors. What we wanted to focus on in this article was pregnancy-related mortality in hospitals that could potentially be prevented. The CDC has identified three areas, postpartum hemorrhage, severe hypertension, and venous thromboembolism as areas that could be focused on and that hospitals and frontline caregivers could potentially prevent. Why are racial disparities in maternal outcomes such a problem in the United States? Are certain women especially at risk for experiencing one of these preventable complications? That is a topic that we don't totally know the answer to. We do believe that life stressors can increase your risk for hypertension. But in terms of hemorrhage, we don't have a very good answer why the numbers are elevated in the African-American community. The treatment, though, should be the same regardless of your race, and that is getting adequate control of hypertension or hemorrhage to thus prevent maternal, severe maternal morbidity or death. Looking at, at hospitals, which was a focus of your article, you identify several recommendations. The first involves implementing bundles of best practices for improving safety in maternal care. How many hospitals have already done that, and what's preventing others from doing the same? That's a great question. We don't know the exact number of hospitals that have implemented these bundles, because these bundles were the collaborative work of the American College of Obstetricians and 15 other organizations, such as the American Academy of Family Medicine, OB nurse providers, such as certified nurse midwives. And several of these organizations came together and agreed that these are the best practice and have published in each of their journals these same recommendations. So whether you've signed up to become a member of AIM, which is the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health, which is a subset of the American College and these other organizations, or your hospital has chosen to implement these recommendations on their own, we don't know the exact number. However, we do know that these are recommendations of best practice. They do need to be tailored, though, for individual hospitals. So if you're a smaller, more rural hospital that may not have drugs readily available, you need to think about what are the ways that you could make these medications available to patients 24-7. 
Similarly, if you have a postpartum hemorrhage and it's unexpected, as many are, you need to know where your vices are that you might need to help control the hemorrhage or your medications that are needed. And they should be drills that hospitals perform to simulate these types of emergencies so that providers in those hospitals know where the medications and devices are and the team knows how to respond to an emergency when it arises. You also recommend that hospitals use the Maternal Health Compact, which formalizes relationships between lower-resourced hospitals that might transfer pregnant women when they require higher levels of maternal care. How common are those transfers, and under what circumstances are they possible? So the Maternal Health Compact it looked at what happened in the 1980s. Women were transferred who were pregnant to higher levels of care mainly for the fetus because the baby was going to be born with some kind of congenital anomaly or perhaps be born very premature. And the hospital where the woman was being taken care of did not have adequate staff and facilities on hand to treat these babies. What we're talking about with the Maternal Health Compact is identifying women that are potentially at risk because now they've potentially delivered a healthy baby at term, and the baby doesn't need care, but the mother needs care. It's oftentimes more difficult to transfer a mother after she's delivered than before she's delivered, because hospitals aren't as commonly acquainted with taking on such a transport and doesn't have systems in place to handle these cases, which may need to be transferred very acutely for interventional radiology support or for additional blood products or for additional surgery or higher level ICU support. So with the maternal compact, what we're suggesting is hospitals already have referral patterns in place. And it's the tertiary hospital that should have, if you will, an easy button so that smaller, less resource hospitals can make one phone call and the transfer can be facilitated as quickly as possible. Because oftentimes for these women, time is of the essence. In addition, the tertiary care hospitals should be assisting the lower resource hospitals in planning for their own emergencies so they're able to help them with what are the blood products they have on hand and what is it that they can do until transport is available. You also propose that family medicine physicians who are considering practicing obstetrics in rural areas receive an additional year of comprehensive training. What would that training look like, and how feasible do you think it would be to implement it? What the authors would like to see is that both the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the American Academy of Family Medicine join together to develop an additional year of training that is for the physician that wants to go to more remote sites that is a family medicine physician who still wants to perform obstetrics. The reason for additional training is that three years is not enough time to become very comfortable with the type of emergencies that are rather infrequent but still nonetheless can occur in obstetrics. So in that additional year of training, they would be just performing obstetrics and performing vaginal deliveries and doing cesarean sections, managing some complications as they occur but have additional faculty around that can help support them in these emergencies so they are able to gain confidence and learn the skills that are needed to manage these events should they occur in the more remote setting. Finally, 
In a related perspective article, Murray Horowitz and colleagues describe new guidelines from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists related to postpartum care in the United States. What effect do you expect those guidelines to have on maternal mortality? That's a very good point, Steve, because maternal mortality doesn't just occur in hospital settings, but quite often it can occur in the postpartum setting. And making sure that patients have adequate follow-up upon discharge is absolutely essential to manage patients that have had, for instance, severe hypertension and make sure their blood pressure is adequately controlled once they go home, to address patients that have problems with postpartum depression, and that there are adequate supports at home. So I think this is a very, very important piece that was calling attention to an area that we do not provide enough support currently. Thank you, Dr. Mann.